This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. This is Jen Cates, and today is interview day. I have with me Dr. Nicole Garneau, and she and I have been working together for the last few months, and of course, she has such a vibrant energy, and I was so excited to bring her on just to talk about some things that she's working on, as well as some things that she's worked on in the past. So, Nicole, take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Jen. Uh, Super psyched to be here. Love your podcast, plus the name. Thanks. So... A little bit about myself. Um, I did my PhD in genetics because I really wanted to understand more about what makes us unique as humans. And that led me down this amazing road. Um, I've studied yeast genetics and worked in beer, and that led me to do some work in taste science and food. Um, And all that is to say that I love science and I love the science behind what makes humans humans. And that's, that's kind of been the fuel behind everything I've done, even though everything I've done has been super diverse in terms of what I've studied. You know, sometimes I feel like that diversity helps you figure out exactly what you want to follow. And I don't know, it kind of broadens the horizon a little bit, right? Well, yeah. And I think for me too, it's also been, um, and I don't think this is going to be a shock to anyone who's done this, is besides helping you figure it out, um, it keeps you engaged in what you're doing. I, I knew, I always knew that I would never be a, not that we have pensions anymore, but a, you know, 40 year employee with a pension. <laughs> and I think we've come into a time um, where that's more accepted now to bounce around and you bring so much life when you do that. Um, so, yeah. No, definitely. My partner gives me a hard time because I've had a variety of jobs kind of leading into like just my teenage years and things like that. But it brings such a I don't know. It brings just a fresh, fresh perspective to things. And you know, then what you like and what you don't like, and I don't know, you have better understanding with that. So yeah, I think it helps, you know, it makes you tick. And I'm a big purpose, a big person who believes in just creating your sense of purpose, um, not finding it, but like creating it. And that helps you do that too. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. Now tell us a little bit more about your time as a food scientist. So what was your primary focus? You mentioned beer, right? Yeah. So when I kind of hop in yeah, I totally hopped around. Um, I joined the Denver Museum of Nature and Science in 2009, and I joined on to be the curator of human health with a focus on um, taste science. So really using genetics to help people understand um, taste, but really using taste, which is really, you know, not intimidating to help people understand genetics. So it's kind of this both this this angle of both health and um, and educational. So and the goal of my lab course. at the museum was really all about pushing the limits on how we study our senses and how our senses play into everyday decisions um, and what the variables are. Nice. And yeah, and I think it was really interesting because I did not have a background in taste science. I was I was trained as a geneticist, as I mentioned. And so going in, I was a little, um, it was almost like doing a postdoc, for those of you who are familiar with that, where you kind of do additional years of research until I figured out what the new topic was, and that it opened up into this world where working with the community became really my lifeblood. And the people I worked with um, and my team, I had the most amazing team there, it was all about doing this community work in addition to kind of beyond just the the genetics and the taste and the health aspect. And I think that's 
something that I never would have expected, particularly as a scientist who hadn't really worked with um, the public before. Mm -hmm. I think this brings into light how much museums and other just local businesses that you might frequent, libraries, things like that, utilize those folks who have studied extensively with this stuff, you know, and perhaps have their terminal degrees in these topics. And it really, I don't know, I think I'm hoping it, it gives these listeners today a little bit of a, a glimmer of who's behind the scenes. You I was know? just going to say that it's kind of like this behind <laughs> the scenes. Like we're so used to these big cultural institutions or scientific institutions. Like, okay, I don't know. It's behind those, those walls. Um, and it's, uh, there's so much that goes into it and it showed me the light as a scientist that there was a totally another job that I could have that wasn't just doing the research but including um combining in this community aspect and it was just something I never knew existed so it's one of those things where I always give advice to students I'm mentoring is don't close off any doors because if you if you say I'm going to be something you're using nouns, right? Versus saying, I'm going to do something, it's using verbs. And the verbs allow for so much more opportunity than the nouns allow. And um, I really, I, I, I used to preach that. I preached it all the time, but I actually did that in my job and saw, saw what that could do. And it's just, you, you're so amazed by it. You never know yeah. what's going to happen if you keep the doors open. Yeah. Ah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, recently you have made a little bit of a shift from more food-centric based science and focus into a little bit of a different chapter, a little bit of a different venture. So you're kind of pivoting just a little bit. Can you talk a little bit more about that for us? I like that you call it a little pivot. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's a big pivot. Of a ma- I'll I leave mean, it up to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in terms, so I left the museum in um, after 10 years in 2019 to do full-time motivational and scientific speaking and consulting. Um, and as all of your listeners know, 2020 hit and COVID. So you can imagine everything I had booked up just collapsed. And I think that that was, for me, a good thing because I was carrying on the way that I was working and my structure and um terrible work-life balance into my business, which was kind of the reason I didn't want to stay in a my stable job is I wanted to have more flexibility. So this pivot came about because when I left the museum, I was going to stay into in the food land and still do motivational speaking kind of on the side around mental health and success and women in science and a variety of topics. And then um, COVID hit And it made me say, what is the thing that's really most important that I want to do? And it took me a lot of inner work to realize that, yes, I was good at the, so this is, this is the idea of, I'm going to preface this by saying society has an idea of what success is and we are trained that as students and in through our jobs. And for the first time, I was saying, that's not right for me. So I was getting all this positive feedback, like, oh, my gosh, I had all these consulting gigs and training gigs for food companies and beer companies and wonderful, like international work, even despite COVID. And it wasn't fulfilling anymore. And it's so counterintuitive to someone who's a type A personality because I wanted to just do what was good. I was making money. People were telling me I'm good. At the same time, it wasn't enough. I knew that there was something missing. And so my my l- little pivot almost was leaving the museum 
um, my big pivot was going into helping people think about success through the lens of mental health and transitioning my brand to more of science and soul um, as opposed to just pure science. And it has been 175% the right decision because I am working my butt off on this and it feels so rewarding versus working your butt off and feeling drained. So it's been a big, big switch um, for me. How's it feel? <laughs> it feels so good. <laughs> I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it feels so good to, to finally be thinking like this thing that I'm doing is not only fulfilling for me, but I'm doing it for the right reasons. So um, I, I have a, a lot of things that have impacted my mental health. I have probably some, some genetic things that are going on with brain chemistry for sure. That gives me this underlying, um, underlying risk for depression but I also had some some difficult things happen growing up and throughout my life, including um, childhood sexual abuse. And uh, my dad would disagree, but my therapist says, yes, we were homeless for a time period and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so for me, being able to say, I am not going to ignore this other piece of who I am. I'm going to feel the things and I'm going to go from there has been a game changer, not only for me and my own self personally, but also I am a better friend. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mom. I am a better sister, a better daughter, because I'm so much more peace. I was using not feeling as a way, um, my not feeling defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. And I think some people might resonate with this is kind of this manic hyperactivity let me put it another way. Oh, I'm just so busy. Oh, I'm so busy. Yes, I'm getting all the atta girls. I'm doing all the things, but I'm barely keeping my head above water. And um, it took a lot of courage and a lot of support for me to start feeling. And once I did feel it, it was worth the journey because I'm in a such, I'm never, my mental health has never been better making that switch. And that carries on into my business and how I take care of myself. And so, long story short, COVID allowed me to realize that I was not being fulfilled and that I had to take that courageous leap to do the thing that I didn't know if I would be successful at coming from a place of stability. And that's huge. I mean, of course, that's something I can relate to, as you know. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Um, But it's, you know, taking that leap, it's so worth it. And just try to believe in yourself and not have a plan B necessarily like, oh, this doesn't work out. I mean, sure, have it in the back of your mind, but it is a leap of faith and you do need the support from your closest allies and your closest loved ones in your life. And, and I hope people who are listening kind of take this to heart if they are thinking about things, you know, if they are thinking about that change at, at their current job or, you know, a career switch or or something, if, if they can just go forward and kind of answer and respond and give space, like you mentioned, Mm-hmm. give themselves space to kind of reflect on that. I think that would be huge for a lot of people. And I know it's a scary time to do that, obviously now with everything, just because of uncertainty. But It is. And you know, folks listening, I'm talking to you out there. It doesn't have to be such a big leap like Jen and I did. <laughs> you know, prior to me making this leap, I knew I came out, so to speak, I'm using bunny ears. I came out um, with my depression because I got asked to write a article for Happy City Denver about the neuroscience of depression. And what I pitched to them instead was the neuroscience of happiness 
confessions of a depressed scientist. And so that was kind of my coming out um, story around this thing that I have a lot of shame about. Um, and then from there, so it was a slow build. From there, I started talking with people more because people were like, oh my goodness, what you wrote resonated with me. I have a, a lover, a partner, a friend, a mom, or myself that is struggling with these real difficult feelings and I don't know how to place them and I don't know what to do with them. And that's when I realized there's a lot of people out there living kind of with these silent and invisible wounds that are tied to shame. And that planted the seed for me that whatever I did moving forward, I knew that I would do something with science, of course, but that planted the seed for me that I, whatever I did was going to shatter shame for myself and other people. It's just shame is an invisible wound that is devastating, I think, to individuals, to families, to communities. Um, and so depression was the first place that I could really do that because I could, I've experienced it. Um, and then the real big kick in the butt was in halfway through 2019, before I decided to leave the museum, I had a traumatic brain injury. I fell skiing and got knocked out and um, didn't have any short-term memory for a while. And once that came back, had a lot of difficulties with physical movement and walking and, and that sped everything up for me. Not that I'm saying you need a brain injury to speed things up, but you can start slow, <laughs> dabble in this, this idea that there's something else that brings you passion, whether or not you're going to make it a career. But sometimes the universe says, yeah, you're going to do that. And you're going to do it a lot faster schedule than you thought. And for me, my brain injury did that. I left the museum about a year earlier, probably than I would have otherwise, to, to pursue this thing that I had no idea what it was going to look like and no idea if it was going to resonate with people, but I knew it was going to make me healthier. And in the process, hopefully helping others. You know? I think I mean, that's it. And I think there's a whole piece around vulnerability that ties to that shame is when you have conscious bravery to say, I have the shame, but I'm going to be vulnerable and share it with people. You know, for every, I'm making these numbers up, but let's say for every one person that speaks up, you know, there's 10 to 20 or more people who are doing it in silence. And so I think that one of my continual motivators when I do this, when I get on TikTok or whatever I'm doing or writing a blog or an interview is... I remember like I can be vulnerable for other people who can't yet. Mm -hmm. I can do this so that other people see not as a role model necessary, but just like I'm not alone. Even if you feel alone. Yeah. Especially as taboo as mental health can be. I think now in the past year, Woo. there's definitely been a lot more conversation about this, which is good. We need it. You know, this last year has been heavy. It will probably continue on for another year or two, just in all honesty. And it's, you know, it's one of those situations where talking about it more now is really going to help people not only now, but just down the road, you know, where mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really hoping it does open that, open that conversation a little bit more because you know how passionate I am about mental health. I mean, that's something that I know yes. you and I have talked about on and off for, for the past several months. And, you know, it's something that I hope when I talk about it, it opens the door for other people to kind of open up to me as well. And, you know, I love hearing you throwing yourself out there and, is that article published? That that article that you that you did for the Denver? Yeah, so it was published. Um, I'm pretty sure I, it was a it was a newspaper that okay. during this event that got handed out downtown Denver, um, and I'm pretty sure it's online. I will try to find it and yeah. I will send you the link for the the show notes. That would be awesome because yeah, I'm like, wait, I didn't read this. 
<laughs> I'm missing out here, Nicole. I'm missing out. No, right. all right. And I think the other piece that I haven't mentioned that I that I try to do things with is humor, which is why I wrote Confessions of Depressed Scientists, right? Like, I am so sick of people thinking that if you have depression, you can't be positive or you can't be funny or, you know what I mean? There's all these stigmas and stereotypes. And so not only do I want to shatter the shame around, like, you can't talk about it because people are going to judge you as incompetent or lazy or whatever the things are. I'm also like, hey you can have humor and have depression too. It's not all Debbie Downer all the time. <laughs> it's true because uh, I don't know if you've ever watched that Pixar movie, Soul. Uh, yes! No, 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 no. Is it Soul? Oh, yeah. Oh, isn't that Soul or thing? Inside Out, which is about the emotions. Inside Out. Inside yes. Out. Yes, Inside Out. And, you know, I think the big, actually my therapist assigned me to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I love my therapist. Uh, but she assigned me to watch it, you know, one weekend and I did. And it was just a matter of you can have concurrent emotions. Like they, even yes. though they conflict, they are supposed to exist at the same time. Like that's completely normal, Jen. That is completely normal listeners, you know? Um, and if you haven't watched Inside Out, I do recommend it. But, you know, it's one of those situations where I think you can't really know extreme joy without the extreme sadness and vice versa, you know, unfortunately. And sometimes it does take those swings to really recognize those emotions. Yep. Although I will say getting healthier now, my swings are more um, less manic than they used to be. (laughs) And that is also a good thing. (laughs) Yes. And that's where like mental health really does play a role in the physical health and nutritional health and how like you know, the way you sleep. And I mean, that's why it's, it's not just a one prong approach to health and wellness. And, you know, there's multi prongs, it's a big spoked wheel. That, yes. That makes that and sense. I am so a hundred and thousand percent behind people starting to think more about that. Um, they kind of have to be the scientists of their self and test out these things and what works for them because you can get recommendations, but ultimately, and you and I've talked about this, you have to test it on yourself. I have to say like, does it work for me to do this now? Does it work for me to have this type of structure? Um, Mm -hmm. So there's this real personalized medicine almost like an aspect an integrated aspect to thinking about, I have this one crazy life. I get to design it however I want to be the best for me. Um, and you can't focus on one thing and you can't focus on what other people are doing. You really have to say, okay, I'm going to take, I mean, you're going to write your own book. I'm going to take a little bit from this, this motivational person. I'm gonna take a little bit from my coach. I'm gonna take here and then everything else you can take with a grain of salt, just make it your own. And I think that's the thing that I love sharing. It's like, you are unique. You, you get to make it your own and what works for me might not work with you. You got to find what resonates. And that's super important that you think about it from both the integrative side, like all of these things are combined, sleep, nutrition, moving your body, what type of media you're consuming and how that's affecting your brain patterns. And also the straight up, like, when do you do things? How much do you do things? What do you cut out of your life? What do you add into your life? It's all this big piece of the puzzle. And I think that the curiosity and self can lead you to make um, so much more invigorated choices because of the curiosity. Yeah, you have to be curious. Yes. You know, you have to be open to experimenting. And I mean, I'm sure you probably remember with my onboarding call when we were first talking before we started working together, the big thing I always bring up is please know, like I can give you a plan, suggested plan, but it's gonna require some experimentation, you know. And and I try to I try to be as upfront as possible with that because 
may, Hey, maybe we're going to find out that you, you benefit from higher fat. Maybe we're going to find out that we, that you benefit from higher protein. I mean, whatever it is for a variety of reasons, but yeah, you have to be open to exploring that for you. It's so personal when it comes to your own health and wellness. Yeah, you have to be flexible too, because you're human. Yeah. Things are going to change and Definitely. and don't force it when you're like, oh, that was working for me. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, change it up. Yeah. Cool. It doesn't, it, even though it worked for you once doesn't mean it's always going to work for you. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's so important to keep that in mind. Now, talking about depression, anxiety, and just life stressors and things like that, what are some tools that you find are important to have in your specific toolbox to handle you know, these type of mental health um, situations and to help manage your overall stress. Do you have any? Oh my goodness. I have this toolbox that is the size of the world. Um, I, I try to start off every day with a warm cup of something, whatever, tea, matcha, coffee, usually coffee and sit quietly. If I can, sometimes the dog or the kid decides that they want to be there with me also. And the key thing about this is kind of like my form. I don't really meditate in the traditional sense, but it's my form of sitting and keeping my mind focusing on just right now. What am I seeing? What am I smelling? What am I feeling? If I need to come back to it. And the whole purpose of it is to just that day, not the week, not forever, just that day. How do I want to feel by the end of the day? Like, what's that feeling that I want to have? And I used this to replace making lists. I don't make lists anymore. Mm. So this has been a huge thing. Um, as I, as I allowed myself to address my depression, depression is treatable, but if you have clinical depression, it's not curable for most people though, they're just going to have depressive episodes that potentially come and go, but aren't going to be something that is forever. Like what I have, when I treated the depression, the anxiety went away. Imagine that. (laughs) And when the anxiety went away, I didn't have to keep all these things in my head and put them down on paper as much. It just didn't, not that it didn't matter, but, you know, anxiety is worrying about what already happened and um, rehashing it or worrying about the future and trying to predict it, which you can't. And so when I addressed feeling and allowing myself to feel, and when I frame my days around how I want to feel that day, I naturally align the things that need to happen because they're in front of me. And so there's this real gut instinct, sacral, whatever you want to call it, knowing that I do that first. And then it snowballs. I do that first. And I'm like, oh, hey, now that I did that, this other thing is showing up. I'm like, yep, I'm going to do that. So some people might think that's kind of strange just to follow where whatever's in front of you and responding to what's in front of you. But it works for me in that I am my bandwidth because I don't have anxiety anymore and I'm not overburdening myself is such that I don't forget things anymore. And so they naturally show back up. It's been a huge change. I know people are probably thinking like, no way, girl, I'm going to stick to my lists and there's no way you're going to like, I like checking them off. It makes me feel good. And I would just say, I would say if you had the bandwidth more in your life, would you need those lists as much? And I'm not saying you don't need checklists to get stuff done process wise you know, if it's really your own business, you got processes, you got systems, you got to do it that way. I'm talking about like the, the way we dump things down on a list in the morning and then expect ourselves to fill it, basically setting ourselves up for feeling like failures because we're never going to do all the things. Yeah, so that's my I biggest think, tool that I use. I like it. 
I like it. And a lengthy tool or a lengthy a lengthy list rather is so overrated. Oh my gosh. And in fact, like if I do if I feel like there's too much and I make a list, Jen. Yeah. I make the list and I just really quickly skim it and I'm like, no, no. Like I let myself react to the words and I pick the one thing. It might be a walk and listen to a podcast. It might be, you know what? Just get that workout done. It's a core quickie. <laughs> just yeah, I know out. what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Or it might be like, you need to eat something like your blood. You can just, when you're quiet, you know, like my blood sugar is low. I'm dehydrated. I need to eat something. Whatever it is. I, I do that. Th- I throw the list away after that though. Mm-hmm. I don't go back to the list. The list gets written because I need to dump it out of my brain. I check the one. I'm like, yep, that's the one thing. I circle it and I throw the list, recycle it because it's on paper. And I recycle the list and I don't go back to it because you don't need to reinforce anxiety. There's already enough things that give you anxiety than showing yourself a list of every single thing that possibly could be done in your personal and professional life. Yeah. It's just overwhelming. And that's the thing. In fact, I just talked about it in one of the most recent episodes. Um, about how, Hey, just have one most important task for the day. You know, just one, literally you might, you might have five things going on, but I just want you to pick one thing. And that's going to be the thing that you need to do that day. And if you do more than that, great. It's a bonus. If you do, if you don't do it, okay. Why, you know, kind of reflect Mm -hmm. on why and what you might need to do for the next day or what have you. So I love that that you reinforce that because it's so important just to keep the focus, the focus. (sighs) Now, I have a couple more questions. How <laughs> how important do you find understanding the brain is when relating it to depression? Do you find do you find it helps you handle depression better or feel more equipped? I thought a lot about this because in um, my motivational speaking, I always include brain science and usually genetics. And when I was consulting, of course, I always did because I wanted them to understand their consumers around food and drink. But did I want to carry it through the work that I was doing to help people think about success through the lens of mental health? And basically the answer became yes, because of the feedback that I got through kind of testing some things out on social media. And here's what I realized. And it's, it's kind of silly that I, I had to realize it because it worked for me. Not that it's going to work for everyone, but it worked for me and it clearly worked for my audience on social media is that when I can say to you, this is how the brain works and all of our brains have basically the same anatomy and our processes are just a little different. And that can happen from a baseline of genetics, then plus how you were raised and conditioning and your experiences and trauma and so on and so forth. All of a sudden it kind of neutralizes depression to say depression is just another form of how the brain works. It's not right or wrong. And not only that, how your brain works is unique. And so you don't have to think about that something's wrong with you. It's who you are. And I, what I've found is that brain science and talking a little bit more and getting people involved in the brain science of it and, um, is not only empowering because you're demystifying what's going on in that skull. It also is empowering because you can start separating out the mind, the thinking part of the brain, from the processes that just happen normally, and how then you can think about your gut, your soul, you know, the universe's trust, like whatever you want to call it, this essence of life, this, you know, ancient breath of life, I call it soul, how when you separate that from the mind, you can actually start doing things that feel so much better because the mind is the place where the anxiety happens. And there's a very specific part of the mind that does that, you know, and so we can kind of break it out. So not only does it demystify, but also shows people like, hey, this is just another form of a brain working. 
And here's how my brain is working and why I want to start now thinking about and questioning my habitual thought patterns. It makes it very objective. And yeah, it does. It's less, it's less going down the spiral that something's wrong with you. There's something wrong yeah. with me and I have to figure out why. I'm going to be honest with you. There's nothing wrong with you. And you don't have to figure out why. Sometimes we know why emotional waves occur. And sometimes they just occur and you don't have to figure them out. You just have to accept it, which is a tool that I never really thought of as a tool until recently my therapist was like, you know, when you had that day where you just listened to Rent and screamed out all the lyrics with tears streaming down your face, um, you just accepted it. And that's also a tool. And I was like, you're right. The tools aren't always this act of trying to get away from it or understand it or push through it. Sometimes the tool is just accepted and be there. And when I do that, it goes away so much quicker because you have awareness. Yeah. It's simple, but not easy. And it works. Awesome. I love it. Now you do have a course that you're working on right now. So tell us a little bit about this online course that you're working on um, and, you know, when it will be offered. Yeah. So one of the things that COVID did um, was also help me expand the ways that I could reach people. Um, so in addition to my speaking and writing, I started a school, an online school called the Soulful Scientist Guide To, and it's on the Teachable platform. And I was building this really huge course. So this is a good another lesson. And then I realized, no, 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 no. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I realized that what I really wanted to get out was something right now for people who are struggling with feelings of blah, meh, languishing, which may or may not be depression. And so my uh, my school has a free course that's launching by the end of April, and I'll send you the link for the pre-sign up. And it's the Social Scientist Guide to Depression 101. And I'm hoping to follow it up with Anxiety 101. And the real course that I'm working on is going to be failure to set back to success, which is thinking about success and designing your own success through the lens of mental health. Um, so this school has allowed me to reach people quickly, I think in ways that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. So the Depression 101 is for anyone who is either experiencing signs of possibly depression and be able to do it in a safe place where no one's watching you figure it out because there's so much shame tied to it. Or for people who want to understand a loved one that they want to help but don't know where to start. So that's the big audience for that one. And that is a big audience because when you think about it, it's either yourself or mm -hmm. it's, you know, you're wanting to learn these things for someone else that's in your life or who's in your life rather. And and I think a lot of us can, especially in the past year, really relate to just having friends and family who might just seem a little, a little different, a little out of sorts, you know, and you're trying to check in with them and see what's going on. And, and this will really help you, I guess, understand that. Is that, is that kind of, yeah. Thing? So what I wanted to do, so it's a, it's a free course. It's a, it's just real guts, real basic, but to give you the tools to talk about it, to understand it. So there's some brain science in there, but then also to either have the conversation starter and then to understand what to expect next. So, um, that was the big thing that I realized people who have come to me kind of in secret saying, I'm experiencing this are scared because they don't know what comes next. Like, what do I do? And so I, I've developed like a checklist. It's like, here's what to expect when you talk with your GP. Do you need mids? Maybe, maybe not. Do you need a therapist? I'm going to say, yes, here's why, you know, talk about all the different things. So it's kind of this quick checklist for what to do next. 
there's two conversation starters, depending on if you're the person experiencing the symptoms or if it's a loved one. So there's two kind of cheat sheets or tip sheets for that. And then the basic brain science that talks about how the brain works and where, where depression comes into brain science, just so you have the basic understanding, including how SSRIs work, which are the most common medication for depression. So those are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So I didn't want, I didn't want people to be scared by the medicines that are out there and talk about how they work. Yeah, there are options. And I think all too often, sometimes we are hesitant because by taking a medication, that means something is wrong. That means something needs to be fixed. And, you know, sometimes the body just needs a little bit of guidance. And that's what medicines are really for Mm -hmm. is just to provide that body, provide your body with with the guidance, provide your body with the, the thing that it might be lacking in. And yeah, it's important to really just yeah, release. The yeah. And for some people, their their symptoms are because of chemical imbalances. Mine is. Exactly. I have major, clin- I have major, otherwise known as clinical depression. I will probably be on meds for the rest of my life. I have accepted that. It hasn't changed who I am. It just makes me not suicidal. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. so, you know, important. like I, I knew I hit my rock bottom when I was driving home from therapy and bawling and um, I had to keep telling myself and you'll see this in the article. I had to keep telling myself a depressed mother is better than a dead mother. A depressed mother is better than a dead mother. And that's when I knew I was like, I, I think we've we've crossed the point of just a depressive episode into something yeah. that I need to get help with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at least you have. And so meds for me, help, but not sorry. At, at least you had the wherewithal to do that. Yeah. I had a therapist to help me on that. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Hey, need, you know, therapy. And that's another Therapy's thing. Good. Yeah. People always talk about like, ah, oh, therapy. I don't want to go talk. You know, there's lots of forms of therapy, number one. But the other thing too, that my dad always says, he's like, if you break your leg, do you ask your friend to fix it for you? Do you ask your partner? <laughs> I'm like, no. Hell no. <laughs> no. So if your head is feeling like you need some help, your loved ones are not, and your friends are not equipped to help you. And you got to find, you have to have professional help, even if it's just for like three sessions and that's all you need. Like I said, the things that people are going through right now, especially because of COVID, most people are experiencing depressive episodes, which are very different than being diagnosed with depression. And I want that to be clear because for most folks, what you need is not too much to get back on feeling, feeling like you're having a lot of good days again. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. It's very true. I actually, one of the first studies I ever worked on after HIV, uh, HIV studies years ago was on for AstraZeneca, Mm. um, Seroquel. It was on the Seroquel study. So, which is on the market and, um, it was for MDD and generalized anxiety disorder. So Mm. major depressive disorder and, and GAD. So, yeah, it's important to know there, there's medicine out there. There are therapists out there. There are tons of therapists out there. And now guess what? Everyone who's listening, if you don't have a therapist, a lot of the therapists are doing online sessions now to where you do get to meet them very much through Zoom or whatever whatever other platform they're using. So it's, it's more accessible. And um, you'll find that some therapists are also being a little bit more sliding scale sometimes just because they want it to be more accessible to more people. It's incredibly important now, now more than ever, but I I mean, really every, every day is important. So. Okay. I love this quote. There's this quote from Julie Andrews, who I adore. Um, And she says, it's about therapy. And she says, it was a great help to me in trouble times. 
but also in hardworking times and happy times. And I think that's what I want people to understand about therapy. It's talking to someone who doesn't have an iron in the fire and who can help you unpack and work through things. Yeah. And it's not just for the bad times. Like if you get in there and you realize like this is helping me get through this episode, you might find that it helps you just to continue when you're working on everything else in your life. Because if your only job in your entire life is to understand yourself better and get healthier, that is an amazing life you led. And that's where like therapy is a tool. Therapy is just yep. like having a coach in your corner. Totally. And, you know, and, and I can't speak highly enough about it because we all, to some capacity, carry around some sort of bullshit in our life. Yes. And, you know, it's one of those situations where a therapist is the flashlight. They're just going to shine the light on it and help you figure it out. Not to say like, hey, something is wrong with you, mm-hmm. but instead to say, hey, this is maybe a little bit of a, uh, I don't even want to say better or healthier approach on how well, How can I things. help you understand this better? Exactly. Like, how yep. can we unpack this? How can we yep. help you for, for your future days? That's right. I love it. I love it. As you can tell, we both love therapy. Yes, um, we do. I would never get my therapist. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. That's the thing is uh, I'm, I'm like seeking out all of the nooks and crannies to kind of work on with mine right now since we worked on some major, some more major things with sports performance for me lately. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, they're, they're flexible with you as long as the relationship is good and you find yes. someone that you, that you bond with, like you, gosh, you could talk about anything. I mean, really, you really can. And, um, and they Anyways. won't force you to talk about your childhood if that's not where you want to go. Yeah. You develop trust by talking about what you want to talk about right then. Exactly. And, and a good therapist won't make you go where you don't want to go, just as a no. warning. Yeah, no, they won't. They'll, they're trying mm-hmm. to avoid that massive discomfort. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, you're going to get a little uncomfortable at some point during the conversation, but they're not trying to force it on you. So. Yep, so, agree. Yeah. All right. So I'm excited about this course. I hope the listeners who are listening right now will check out the show notes to, I will provide all the links to uh, Nicole's, you know, website and obviously any links that she has for the sign up and just a little bit of a tidbit about the soulful scientist guide to depression 101. I can't wait. Uh, (laughs) I I think I'm I'm definitely going to have to sign up for it just because now I'm curious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah you never know what like I said you never know what you're gonna pull from something where you're like I'm yeah. gonna take that and I'm so glad and maybe nothing else resonates but that one thing if that helps you then it was worth it yeah I love it well let's close out with uh, a question for you all right and I don't know I'm debating on starting to ask all of my my interviewees this question mm-hmm. what is the one thing that you find has been the most monumental or the most uh, impactful for your health, whether that's physical, mental, whatever the definition is for you, but for your total health, what's one thing that has been probably the most impactful? I would say recognizing and owning more of who I really am in the sense that, in the sense of how I structure my days. The biggest change in my life is I stopped telling myself that if my days weren't structured, I wasn't worth. I wasn't having any worth or value or being productive. And this is real conditioning stuff. This is it. Like, well, got to wake up and you do this and you do this and it's a rat rat race and and then you got to be exhausted by the end of the day and fall into bed. And if you don't do that, you 
did not have a productive day. That myth is gone from my life. So the biggest change I've made is to be so present that I don't schedule my days, you know, beyond meetings and things like that. But I don't block out time to say, and now I'm going to work on this and I'm theming my days and I'm going to batch all my social media content on this day. (laughs) It just doesn't work for me because I don't know where I'm going to be on that day. So I know broadly within a week and within a month, I have these milestones, but I don't set myself up to fail anymore, which is basically what I used to do. Nice. I love it. And perfect example, you know, sometimes stuff like that doesn't work for folks. Sometimes batching doesn't work for individuals. It's kind of a matter again, finding what works for you and and being flexible with it. Exactly. We're water. We have to be fluid. Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, Nicole, it was great having you on. Uh, Again, I will link everything in the show notes for everyone. (sighs) It's always a joy talking with you. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye, everyone.